And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 76 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, April 27, 2015. So, folks, just a very quick note here before we get on to this week's shenanigans and usual snarky fun giggles of the show. We have to just quickly mention that our hearts and prayers are with the people of Nepal who suffered a devastating earthquake over the weekend. As of the recording of this show, more than 2,300 people have lost their lives and thousands more homeless, etc. And here at This Old Marketing, we've donated the advertising revenue from this week's show to Oxfam, which has a presence in Nepal, and we'll include a link, of course, to resources should you like to donate and help relieve some of the disaster there. Okay, so now on to the goofy weirdness and the usual fun of our usual programming. Last week was the week of twists, wasn't it? A major shocking twist for one of those popular television shows where the news is that the girls will be the boy and perhaps the boys will be the traditional girls. Uh, Who would have guessed a twist? The story hiding in the background forever, or was it? Did we know all along that it would finally end like this? Could we see the writing on the wall? Did we know that these characters would end up this way? And of course, I'm talking about what happened to the cast of Full House. Yes, Netflix is relaunching the hugely popular show, Fuller House, with all the original cast, including, of course, the annoyingly cute billionaire Olsen twins. So you have that going for you. Oh, and of course, there was that other shocking twist with McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy. The hero and handsome character was, well, with just a tint of a spoiler here, blindsided and wound up, let's just say, well, I'll just leave it there. And yes, of course, there was the perhaps not-so-shocking twist of our Olympic hero Bruce Jenner making absolutely no news at all when he said that he'll now be a woman, telling Diane Sawyer that he was, as Lady Gaga would say, born this way. So put all that together, and who knows what shocking twist Joe and I are going to have for you this week on This Old Marketing. We'll have you saying, have mercy, like handsome Jesse, or how rude, and you got it, dude, like the adorable little Michelle. We'll have you shouting, you did fail. Like Meredith Grey, pulling the plug on a content marketing rant that'll make your hair tumble like Bruce Jenner's ponytail at a Kanye West concert. So let's crank it up to 10 and get our pants in a twist and get this reboot going. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, the McDreamy, McSteamy, McSexy, McOrange, all wrapped into the same guy of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I, I, you leave me speechless at almost every one of these. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get? You had to get Kanye West into all that. Absolutely. My goodness. You know, it's a Kardashian thing, right? Um. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Now. Now I get the. Uh, I, I get the coordination. It's. Yes. How, yeah. What a crazy week. It, it's oh, just. It's just been. It's been. It's been. You know, ups and downs and twists and turns and it's been crazy. Absolutely. It's hard to. Yeah. It's hard to believe we live in this world. But yeah, you've been traveling all over the place. I've been traveling. Traveling's picking up again. We had a little break for a while, but I guess we're back to work again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been in New York, and uh, now at, as we as we speak, I'm here in lovely Montreal. Um, bonjour, my French is horrible. Um, and uh, yeah, I was here at the Cisco event today, which was great. Got to see our good friend Jay Bear and Gary Vaynerchuk, and uh, a whole bunch of folks. Uh, uh, Jill Rowley was here, and it was a really good event. And uh, and you had time to actually go through some news and, and find some stuff. Do we have any relevant stories this week to chat <laughs> we about? Do actually, I, I certainly yeah. hope so, because if we don't, <laughs> this is going to be an that, awfully short episode. After all of that, we do. So our lead story uh, of the show is from Adweek. 
Um, and once again, here we go again, folks. Facebook organic reach now down to count them. 2.2%. We are on a countdown to zero, I guess. As the article says, the average reach for posts from Facebook pages in March was 2.6%, slipping to 2.27% for pages with more than 1 million likes. This is according to the latest research from social analytics and reporting firm LocoWise. I'm not sure I've ever heard of LocoWise, but there we go. LocoWise studied 5,000 pages, and it's outlined its finding in a new uh, engagement uh, in their blog post and found that Average organic like growth was 0.53% with pages with fewer than 1,000 likes saw that figure rise to 1.6%. Basically saying the smaller number of likes you have, the higher organic reach you have sort of in an algorithmic way. Um, so what did you think about this? Well, what's the uh, – well, by the way, now everyone knows about uh, this company because we're talking about them. Well, of course, uh, of course, <laughs> they have that going uh, for them. <laughs> can I just, can I, just, before we talk about this, can I just do a side small rant? Sure. Well, you said Ad Week, and I did. You can't find ad. This is from the Social Times blog, but there's no Ad Week on this page. I just think it's odd that the domain is adweek.com. But there's no branding at all about Ad Week on the page. I think it's because I didn't know it was thing, Ad Week until it? you just said it. I yeah, thought it was Social Times. Yeah, I think it's their I think it's their channel for social stuff is Adweek. Um, if to- I'm not totally mistaken. get that, but yeah. don't you think that there's in some way should be a Social Times by Adweek or something since they're using that domain? I, I just I, I would if there were I was their marketing guy, but you know I mean Adweek does continual things that baffles the heck out of me. I mean you know their well, whole I think like, we, need <laughs> we need to demand we need to demand a change. This hey, Mr. Adweek. <laughs> These shenanigans have gone on long enough. Hey, Ad Mr. Adweek. We need to make the change. You know, uh, back to the story. Uh, I, th- I think this is this is more of the same. Uh, I did think yes. it was odd, or maybe not surprising, that the uh, you know the companies with whatever said over the pages with over a, a million likes had the least amount yeah, of engagement. I thought that was and, the real story, yeah. Well, doesn't that – would you say that that's, that's a bot issue? That's a – you know, when you get large enough and there's so many non-real Facebook – or they're coming from all these other com- countries that don't really have people on I think Facebook? That's, yeah, I think it's sort of a – it's a uh, – I don't know whether you call it the law of diminishing returns or the sort of – but I, I'm probably getting that wrong. But, but the idea, I think, is – the more popular you get, it's both a bot issue and also sort of a visibility because if you've read any of those articles about how the organic reach is really declining and the sort of fake user thing, what's happening is people who are buying likes, in order for them to fool the algorithm of Facebook to say to not identify you as a fake liker, you go out and you like other things. And those things that you're going to like manually will ostensibly be the biggest brands, right? They're yeah, the biggest, exactly. The ones that you can find the easiest, um, you know, through a quick search or through the, you know, through the right rail or something like that. So it sort of builds on itself over time where the more likes you have, the bigger, quote unquote, audience you have, you're more likely to get fake likes. And so therefore, it's sort of building on that and your organic reach goes down. So basically... The, the, the nutshell for me, the base, major takeaway for the story was basically the more likes you get, the more likely you are to lose organic reach, which is such 
another antithesis of what was originally So that means intended. we should not want likes? Exactly, Robert, right? is it that means, what you're it, saying? Is that what you're telling our audience? <laughs> I mean, that, no. Would so, it, so, let, so instead of getting 100,000 likes, we should set up 100 pages of 1,000 likes? Well, I mean, look, well, that, that, <laughs> that's that the extreme, right? Want to no, do that, no, but that's no, what this God. is telling us. It is indeed. That's I hadn't even thought about it that way. But that's I mean, what it's telling us really is that Facebook is a paid media platform. It was funny here at the Cisco event. Uh, Gary V was talking about his use of Facebook and every example he had, which were great, by the way, as paid media. I mean, he tells this one story where he talks about. He wrote a story for the front page of Wine Library, and the title of the news article was Five Wines You Should Be Drinking If You Graduated Princeton and Live in New Jersey. I mean, that specific, right? And you first think of yourself, why that specific? And then what he does is he promotes that post in Facebook to people who live in New Jersey and graduated from Princeton. And he says, I'll sell thousands of dollars of wine with that one post with that highly targeted piece. That, to me, is a really interesting use of paid media and targeting on Facebook. But it's a, you know, you're talking about an ad placement now, not, not really, you know, a, 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 a real community or, or a social sort of aspect to but, it. But actually, but, it, but for what we've, we've, what we've talked about, that is a brilliant usage Absolutely. of Facebook. Absolutely. Because th- that's a type of post that you wouldn't normally have organically released on your blog. You hold exactly. that back. And you're like, oh, okay, well, here's three posts or four posts that are just going to be ad bait, and right. you're done. You're gonna yeah. do. You're gonna. You're gonna get your money's worth. You maybe, uh, you know, bring it out of the closet every once in a while, and then you're gonna put it back in, and <laughs> there you go. Well, but that didn't come out right. That didn't come out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> but it's gonna be one of those shows, folks. It's gonna yeah. go downhill from here. We but it's, it's a great point. It. It's a great point because Arnie Keen talks about this when with SEO, right? When he does his sort of SEO talk, he talks about writing with that level of specificity for Google. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, it's what I would call uh, evangelist content or you know, sort of uh, preacher content. And it's this idea of we can create content that is purely meant to target a very specific niche and use paid methods to pull people into that content. And hopefully they then either engage or they go right to buy or whatever our goal is. But I think it's a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting use of, uh, of social media, but it is a paid platform. This is no longer about trying to engage a community here for sure. No, I, I would absolutely see this. So, yeah, if you're a company and you have multiple niches and you're and you're trying to create a subscriber program, it would be brilliant to release content on Facebook specifically with the goal of landing more subscribers for that specific yeah, thing. That's exactly right. Yeah, so, I think that's a good exactly way to right. use it. I mean, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, and I think, I mean, it's still going to hold true. Uh, I mean, you're going to get all the video. I mean, I, I mean, it's really getting like video, 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 video on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost nonstop, and then you know you're gonna, and then even the ads are videos now too. So yeah. I don't know what well, it's gonna I mean, be. What can, what's uh, what can you? What's the next thing up from video? Like what puppets? Is it? Puppets. Pu- I think is the. You uh, heard it here, folks. Next, We've called puppets. it. Yeah, puppets. It will be it. Um, I, I, that's puppet where book. I'm. I'm putting my money on. <laughs> puppet book. Puppet Do books. It. 
puppetbook.com. I'm going to GoDaddy right now. (laughs) And I'm going to sell it to Facebook for 200,000. Done. There it is. All right. We should move on to our next story, which is also from Adweek, interestingly enough, also from the Social Times. Um, So to make Joe really happy there. And it is 60% of marketers are increasing their budgets for influencer marketing, which I thought was a really fascinating study here. Although, Joe, I know you have an issue with it. Basically, the article opens by saying influencer marketing is becoming an effective way for brands to generate big returns on social. Uh, sort of segueing from our last story. As new influencers emerge on different social networks, businesses are looking to connect with those influential people and their followers. And then this study, um, marketing platform Thomason, recently polled marketers to get a sense, and they said that they about 60%, it was 59%, plan to really, really increase their ad budgets for influencer marketing. What say you, Joe? Is this something that, you know, we, I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of influencer marketing. What did you make of this? Well, first of all, influence or influencer marketing, however you want to look at it, is, I agree, is incredibly important when you ask people is if it's something that they're focusing on. I ask audiences all the time because I've got a section of my presentations that I talk about how Content Marketing Institute uses inf- used influencer marketing to gain subscribers. But what we generally find is there's no strategy around it. So that's what scares me. Are they increasing budget? Yes. But I, I'm, I get, I'm afraid that it's almost the same old stuff where we're going to get a list together and we're going to have our agency go and we're going to find some influencers and we're going to have them, you know, do some blogs for us and things like that. And that's not really good influence marketing. And no. actually, uh, Sam Fiorella, who was on our Content Marketing Institute podcast last week, he talked about this and basically said the same thing that we've been talking about all along. Nobody takes a strategic approach to this, looking at who the influencers are, what are we trying to do, long and taking a long-term perspective because you actually you, you reap the rewards if you have a long-term. You're not going to get it like, oh, this week, what do we do? How do we use these influencers? It takes a while. you got to build relationships over time. But the, the I'm going to rant a little bit with the, the data and you and I talked about this a little bit, there's a portion, when you go to the source, first of all, it's 125 marketers. I don't know if it's statistically significant. I don't know how they did. I don't know if they just asked 125 people what you think. I don't know if they did it in a, a, it doesn't say how they they actually served the survey up. But anyways, um, there's a question here. It says, fastest growing online customer acquisition methods. And influence, influencer marketing is number one. And organic search is number two, email is three, paid search, display advertising, and affiliate marketing. That's it. Right. And I said, is this from 92? Yeah. Like, I did, exactly. I'm like, where's, you know, where's, uh, where's social media? Like, well, where's content marketing? Where's, uh, I mean, and, but I Joe, don't know. What, I, Joe, what would you like for dinner? Would you like fried cheese or would you like a bucket of soap, a dirty ashtray, or maybe uh, some car oil. Which, which of those three would so, you yeah, like? Yeah, so you get the point, right? <laughs> and then the others, the answer to that was others. Eight, the second highest answer was others, which means there's a lot that we didn't. So <laughs> right, anyways, others. yes, I totally buy in that influencer marketing is important. There's more money spent on it. There's still a challenge at uh, looking at the return of it. It says that, oh, you're getting, I think it was six $6.50 for every dollar invested is their ROI on this. But so I get it. I just, I don't know. I'm ranting a little bit about, I don't know how much credence we can put into the, to the data. No, I think that, I think the major takeaway for me here is that, 
you know, I, I mean, everybody I'm talking to anecdotally is thinking about this using influencers, you know, and that word even, I mean, gets, you know, gets people sort of in a tizzy sometimes about what really is an influence. Are we talking about people who really are thought leader influencers or are we talking about people who have very large social followings? Because those two are not <laughs> themselves sort of equal footing, right? I mean, exactly. So, and, and so the, the idea is that we try and get somebody, especially in B2B marketing, that is going to be outside or within um, our space, but outside the company, that can actually speak in an intelligent way that in some way we're going to get a halo effect from that person's thought. And, and I think, you know, more marketers as I talk to are thinking about those programs because it's a great way for them to really bolster up a content brand. If they're thinking about an own media property, it's a great way to start, right? So yes. that, you know, if they don't have the internal people or they do have the internal people, but quite frankly, don't want to make it look like an inside looking out kind of thing, bringing in influencers is a great way to do that. But compared to the, everything else you're doing, I guarantee you it's not going to be the biggest thing you're doing. And to your point, it's going to be something you're going to spend a long time getting going. But here's here's where I think the opportunity is. If you, we call it an influencer hit list. So if you put together your list of influencers that you're targeting and right. you make that list and then you actually activate that list in some way, what, how are you going to build these relationships over time so that you can, they'll talk about you more favorably or create content for you, whatever your goals are. What I like about doing that is that that's where I think you can actually acquire some of these influencers, because what we've found, and you and I have had many conversations about this, even in our industry, especially in our industry, you have some of these so-called influencers that are really, really good at building a platform. They've built a, a content brand. They've built uh, a number of, you know, even thousands, hundreds of thousands of subscribers in some ways, but they haven't been able to monetize it. Some of these people are looking for jobs. They're, they're really right. struggling. That's well, they right. have all these subscribers and followers and loyalty at the same time, but they haven't been able to monetize that. That's where a brand, you can look at your influencer list and say, oh, well, maybe we could just buy them. So right. I think there's a build or versus buy scenario where you could say, look, we know it's going to take us a year or more to really build loyalty over time. We've got to create a lot of content. We've got to activate it this way. We've got to start fresh. It's tough to do that, for, especially for a large brand, even a small company. It's tough to do that. But you might say, ah, but maybe we can, in this market, in this niche, we can go buy it. And I think that's what I love if you go through the exercise of an influencer marketing list. I, I think there's a big opportunity there. But there are companies out there that are doing exactly that, right? I mean, you know, and not I'm not putting him in this category because he's definitely not in this category. But I, you know, I, I've often thought in, I wonder how successful the programming Rackspace is having with Scoble, right? So Scoble has been an influencer for years and years and years, and he's you know he's definitely got a big audience, and Rackspace brought him on. And I, you know, I still see Scoble out, you know, at, at conferences, and I see him, you know, out there tweeting and looking at Google Glass and all the things that Scoble does. And I rarely see Rackspace's name behind it. And I just wonder, you know, this is somebody, this is a company that did exactly what you're talking about. And I'm starting to see more and more of it, where you know, for senior level marketing positions, this is becoming sort of the you know the way to get in right if you want a senior level marketing position you kind of have to build your own personal brand as an influencer in order to do it because brands really want it well look at look at uh, guy kawasaki guy kawasaki yeah, exactly. is now chief evangelist at canva 
And he, what he's doing is he's traveling all over the world as chief evangelist of Canva doing Guy Kawasaki stuff. Right, exactly. And, and Canva gets out there, and they're actually doing a really good job of it and just saying, look, we're not going to talk about Canva. I'm going to say he's from Canva, uh, all that stuff. But he's just getting out there, and more people know about Canva than ever before because I've said it. 10 times but other than that <laughs> because guy works you know guy works there i think that's actually a lot of the influences are looking for jobs should probably do exactly that so yeah yeah anyways. absolutely yeah. all right moving on to our next story and this one is a fascinating one actually and i know joe you've got a big take on this one this comes to us courtesy of pbs yes that's right you heard it right folks pbs public broadcasting system.org and the headline here is why is the media business innovation dominated by advertising? This is a long article, but folks, it's well worth the read. It's a really, really interesting, it's a guest post on PBS, um, and it really talks about where sort of the world is with journalism and the model of business, and, and, and Joe, I know you're going to rant on this or rave on this a little bit later, but the idea starts out, the article starts out by saying roughly 20 years into the still unfolding great disruption of old media, the advertising market that mostly supported, the business of journalism appears to be in some new phase. And then he goes on to describe the phases um, and really go through sort of a, an argument and gets into this. He, he talks about a December report from Columbia's uh, Toe Center for Digital Journalism that makes it clear that what's at stake for publishers that are seeking alternatives to advertising revenue in the online age is the ability to continue to, quote, produce good journalism should the advertising subsidy continue to decline. And that's a really interesting challenge. And then he goes on to talk about all these different business models and why there seems to be so little experimentation. And you've talked about this on this show where sort of it seems to be sort of just trotting out the same old experiments over and over again. What did you, what did you think about this article? Oh, I, I want to give this article a big hug. Um, yeah. I love, I, love what they're, I love what he's talking about because it actually talks about a lot of what we discuss on this show. But I think the one thing that I really like about it, he talks about – how you know all these cutting edge media companies vox and vice and buzzfeed they're all based on an ad supported model these billion dollar valuation companies and at the same time he breaks down the idea that look publishers you know 20 years ago publishers were in control and they could ask for whatever they really wanted to from advertising because there weren't there you couldn't go direct there, there, the supply and demand. There was, there was all on the publisher side. Now there's a thousand million publishers in each, you know, media companies. <laughs> a thousand in, million. A thousand million. That's a, thousand that's a, that's a, that's a real that's thing. thing. That's okay. Gotcha. All that, right. That's Just what I tell sure. my. That's what I tell my sons. That's a thing. Don't question your father. <laughs> okay. Uh, but but there's there's yes, all God kinds father. of supply. There's all kinds of supply. We can all create content today. But yet we're still looking at a business model that focuses on really it's a supply and demand thing and it's not there anymore. And what I love, my favorite part is then they go into, and this is why we've seen this balloon around native advertising, which is really funky, you know, ring the bell here on native because it's when you don't have the control, you don't have the power of the publishers, then now they start to say, Oh, maybe we have to, maybe we have to give in a little bit. Maybe we have to listen a little bit more to or maybe we have to give them more stuff on our site. Maybe we have to blur that line a little bit. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, but I like that he made that argument. I don't right. know if you agree with that, but I just think it's interesting that he makes that argument. 
Well, we see it all the time, right? I mean, well, we don't see it all the time, but we're starting to see it more and more and more, which is those blurring of the lines and sort of the, you know, it, it, it the way it sort of expresses itself, at least the way I've seen it express itself, is sort of in this indecision about a direction. You know, they, they're they're trying, it was funny, I was having this conversation at, uh, at the conference, which is increasingly, so now I'm going completely off the rails here, but into a different example, but I'll bring it back, I promise. So I'll talk to uh, brands these days, and I'll go in and I'll talk to the CMO or the VP of marketing, and my job is to come in there and sort of help them sort out their content marketing approach. And what they'll say is, um, they'll show me, they'll go, hey, look, here's this microsite that we launched last year, and Jay did it, and basically it was, you know, it got up and running, and now it's sort of languishing, and nobody's paying any attention to it. And here's this blog over here that we launched last year, and it just sort of got up and running and then sort of, you know, ran out of steam. Oh, and then there's this social thing that we did over here, and, you know, we haven't really paid much attention to that in a couple of quarters. Oh, and then there's this awesome webinar program that we started, and then we just kind of stopped doing it. And to me, that's the sort of that's the heart of what we're the challenge that we're trying to get over here is to get out of this campaign-minded thinking and build something that's supposed to last to get that consistency over time. Because what happens is is that we don't plan to succeed. Something gets planned for launch, this blog, this webinar program, or whatever, and then we just don't plan for it to do anything other than launch, and then we just lose interest or life gets in the way, the business gets in the way and we, tr- we go on to other things and they just sort of sit out there and languish in obscurity. That's kind of what I'm seeing now from the publishing side where these models are getting tested and, and, but they're, they're planning for sort of the launch but not the management of it. They, you know, they launch these native advertising programs without any sort of thought as to what's going to happen if we actually succeed at this thing? What should we do? How should we build it over time? They're, they're sort of investing as they go here, and I just see it sort of, sort of fizz, everything just doesn't like end with a bang. It just sort of fizzles out. Well, the interesting thing about, and you know, I've talked about this before, but as you read toward the end, he's basically, and Hampton Stevens is the uh, is the writer behind this post for, and, and PBS is hosting it. The, the 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 writer so Hampton is calling for what's the new business model for media that's going to work of course we know what that is and that's basically products right we sell products and services and that's where we're in this just funky transition period where we we still look at media companies versus non-media companies and i really believe in the next decade we're not going to do that because the, anybody who has some kind of a media presence is probably not for the most part i mean they might defray their costs through some advertising or sponsorship but for the most part they're selling stuff you know they're going to be the red bulls of the world and the crafts recipes of the world and those types of things and they're going to be selling products and that's what blows me away when you get any of these launches and they're not thinking about, well, ultimately, and I get it, like at the beginning, if you need to, you know, you're going to monetize it however you can. I totally get that. But at, at the end of the day, you're like, long term, we're, we're going to be selling stuff on right. this site, like Amazon.com, like anybody else would be selling stuff. And I just think it's weird right now. You, when, you, when I talk to publishers, I talk to a lot of publishers all the time. They never, they hardly ever consider that. Oh well, that's what my advertisers do. They sell stuff. I don't do that. 
Right. Well, they're doing both right guess now. Guess what? Yeah, guess what? Not for they're long. They're doing – yeah. I mean I had – so I had a really – I can't tell you who it was with. I had a really, really good lunch today with large, like super large B2B company. And we were talking about that same thing and they were asking me, you know, what's the trends and where's our opportunity? I said, your opportunity is – and we're talking about the trade publishers in their industry. I said, your opportunity is you have more resources than, than you could – because you think you're tight on resources. I said, you have so many more resources than the publishers that compete against you. That's you could right. be doing that tomorrow. And here's the issue. So now we're really going off the rails probably. But the, the big issue is they're thinking about it like – Lead generation, lead nurturing, get yeah, it to exactly. sales, sell it. You know what? And fine, I get that. But they're not thinking of creating a subscriber for life and monetizing that in multiple ways. I mean, yeah. if, if you were thinking about, oh, let's, how do we create an audience? How do we develop a loyal, trusting audience that ultimately will buy anything from us? They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about, oh, we've got to get so many leads to sales or we're going to get our funding cut. That, this is a totally temporary thing. That we're still living in Mad Men era and we're dealing with this new thing called content. I really do believe in, in my heart of hearts that in 10 years it's not going to be that way. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It is a funky time. It is. It is. It it's is funky, definitely. cold Medina, yeah. man. That's exactly Can you what take it me is. to Funky Town? Can, can you take me to Funky Town? <laughs> I just want to know if you can take me to Funky Town. Okay, moving on before we get to all the. Oh yeah! Now we're going on to a really fun article. Yeah. Oh yeah. This one. This. Yeah. You think it's been ranty (laughs) up to this point? We haven't get started yet. Wait till you get a load of me. (laughs) All right. This comes to us courtesy of our good friends um, and always uh, those good friends at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, This is from their blog. The title of this post is "17 Native Ad Buzzwords That All Mean the Same Thing." This might be this might be a contender for stupidest blog post of the year. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Oh, is that how you're going to set it up for me? <laughs> Seriously? You usually do, like, give it a little context, a little perspective. No, you're just going to throw it out, I, right out. Uh, well, okay. I, you know, there is not much context to give. This is just dumb. This is just well, D-U-M-B dumb. For those of you listening, let me let me give a little bit of context. So they go through 17 phrases from sponsored content to branded content to, to content marketing to brand publisher. To Partner everything. content. And they basically say it's all the same thing. Now, the challenge here in a is snarky that, way, in a really snarky, in a really way. snarky way. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, this really quick. It's a very short argument. It can't be more than, than 150 words. Yeah. Um, and it goes through. Now, my first question is, I don't know how this gets onto wall street journal. As you know, we've had a love hate relationship, but mostly I love wall street journal and I'm actually, I have a rave later about them. So I'll, I'll redeem myself a little bit. I don't know how this gets approved. Now, this is what's really bad about this is that, we fight pretty hard around our phrases. And a lot of people think, oh, it's like you and I were talking beforehand. It's like, oh, inbound marketing, content marketing, all the same thing. No, it's not. We really need to understand that some things mean some things and other things mean other things. They're very, very different. And in this case, content marketing does not mean the same as branded content, does not mean the same as native advertising. These are very different things. And if we don't come out and say exactly what they mean, people get confused. Now, what will happen is 
there'll be some conference going on, some native advertising conference out there, and they're talking content marketing because they're going to treat it as all the same thing because Wall Street Journal said it was. That's right. And I'm like, oh, come on. So anyways, I'm just, you know, I, I don't want to berate the authors or berate Wall Street Journal, but this, I think we need to take more care of our practice area than just throwing out like it's all the same things because it's not like content and content marketing mean different content is you can't even say they, they say yeah. right there that content marketing and content are the same things i'm like what yeah these, right. are, these are not the same things branded content is has nothing to do with sponsored content branded content is like when you're talking when coca-cola is talking about uh the the history of the the shape of their bottle that's some branded content for you that, exactly. And branded content is not content marketing because branded content is content about the brand. Content marketing is content that focuses on the audience's informational or entertainment needs. So, if you, but but whoever wrote this doesn't know that. <laughs> well, no. Here's the thing. I think they do. That's here's my here's my. Oh, now it's really. If that's the truth, now I'm really mad because I wasn't yeah. mad before. Well, this is now so. I'm this really is mad. see. I think so. And, and I'm and, and and look, I'm making a big assumption, Adam, and we all know when you you know ASSSUME blah 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 blah. So, but I'm going to make a big assumption anyway, and I'm going to assume that they actually do know the difference. I think this was meant to be funny. I think this was meant to be a sort of funny, haha. Let's isn't that isn't this funny that we're actually taking this sort of really, you know, uh, iconoclastic view of this whole thing and, you know, basically some sort of, you know, contrarian point of view to be funny about it. And I think they're missing the punchline. There is no joke here. They basically tee everything up to say, here's the setup, you know, basically three guys walk into a bar and they leave you there and that's it. I mean, you know, three guys, yes, three guys walk into a bar. What about that? Well, isn't that funny? Well, no, it's not funny. You didn't pay it off. You didn't. This is to me. This is just lazy writing. This is that's what that's what annoyed me about this is that I'd like to write for the Wall Street Journal, but I, you know, but you just look at this and I go, "Why you're getting paid to do this? This well, is that's not." The- that, well, I and you and I talked about this because I'm like, where's the where's the sponsored post? Right. I'm exactly. looking for. I right. thought this was a sponsored post. I'm like, well, first of all, I'm like, how did it get through the sponsored post guidelines? <laughs> and then I'm then I'm like, oh my god, it's not even a sponsored post. It's a real post. Right. So it's just you know, I love you, Wall Street Journal. You know, come on, work with me <laughs> a, a little bit. Help Be me help, <laughs> help you. Help me help you, Jerry. Help. <laughs> speaking I of sponsored that about posts, you. I, love I that did part. that That's about you. Parts. Oh, my gosh. So speaking of sponsored posts, we have a wonderful sponsored uh, that we should talk about. And, absolutely. And, and just share the love. Yeah, absolutely. This Old Marketing, again, is sponsored by the wonderful team at Widen Enterprises, a digital technology company that specializes in the all-important area of digital asset management. And you and I both know, Robert, that uh, there's a lot of companies out there that aren't managing their digital assets like they need to. So Widen is offering another new report authored by the one and only Robert Rose. Double R in the house with digital assets should be agile not fast, and you came up That's with that right. title yourself, right? Is that I did. <laughs> that was yours? That was fantastic, <laughs> fantastic work. Two snaps up on that one, Robert. Fantastic today. 
A growing number oh of marketers gosh. are dancing to the tune of Agile marketing. That I know you came up with. Yes. That's yours. <laughs> Agile teams, assets, and processes can create collaborative content, better brands, and faster content marketing. And we all want faster content marketing. But what often gets lost is the distinction between Agile and fast. By the way, I'm making fun at this. This is a great report. Um, digital assets should not be Agile. Or should I'm sorry, should be Agile, not fast. Go to bit.ly.com slash Widen, W-I-D-E-N dash Agile dash Assets and download it or go to thisoldmarketing.com and download it directly. Uh, love the folks at Widen. Love this piece. Great It's crew. a great report. They're they actually great have crew. two reports. I think that if when you go to download it, I think you get two reports for the low, low price of one. It actually is free, so it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> So this is this is fantastic. It's a really good report, and um, we're we're happy and honored to partner with the folks at Watch. It's good stuff. So yeah, it's you. good stuff. Digital asset management is becoming such an incredibly important piece of what businesses are doing these days. You know, it used to be that Dam, um, you know, was really just about how do we make sure that we're not running afoul of any you know governance issues or rights issues on photographs that we have in our product packaging and all of that, and you know. Digital and content marketing specifically has really made digital asset management a priority in businesses and, and really just making sure that we're, we're doing it in the right way, that we're actually looking at this in an agile way and not just running around like chickens with our heads cut off is the real key here. And, and that's what the report is about. Well, it's it's well done. Oh, it's, thank and, you. And it's and it's designed in orange, which makes it's it that ab- much better. Absolutely. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It's our rants and rave sections, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, something that gives us, you know, the feeling of the Olsen twins making us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Or You're going to watch that, aren't you? I, You're no, gonna, look, I mean, I, I, if nothing else, I have to hate watch it. I mean, come on. I mean, that's no. the you have to see what the what what it all how it all comes together. Um, by the way, if you folks have not seen, I've been binge watching Daredevil on Netflix. It's fantastic. It's Is it so, really? I haven't oh, seen it at so all. Good. I did not see for the, the kids. trailer. Not for you know the kids. What I saw the trailer for? I saw the trailer for Fantastic Four. Oh, isn't that great? That looks Man, really good too. That looks yeah. like a really good reboot. I'm ready to go. It does indeed. All right. It does what do you indeed. Got? Anyway, so I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rave uh, today since I have this old marketing. And I just want to give a shout out because I just thought this was wonderful. So um, this comes to us courtesy of Contently, by the way. Um, so thank you, Contently, and your blog for sort of writing about this because it sort of made me remember to go look it up. And it's three examples of content marketing, just wonderful pieces um, <laughs> content marketing or branded content or content, depending on your definition. And these are basically films that won or were nominated for Daytime Emmy Awards. And so we've talked about this on this show before, about how content marketing is becoming increasingly um, viable for things like Academy Awards and Emmy Awards, Grammys. Um, and here we are in the Daytime Emmys, and here's our three pieces of content that were nominated, and they're just three fabulously wonderful, beautiful pieces. And I just couldn't uh, advise you more highly to go watch them just for the entertainment value alone. There's one called The Beauty Inside, which I'd actually heard of before. I actually learned of this piece when I was 
um, at an event um, in, this was last year when it came out, uh, it was called the New Upfronts up in Toronto, actually, um, that talked about this uh, project that um, was done by Intel and Toshiba, a partnership between the two companies, where uh, it was basically a movie about a guy named Alex who is voiced by the actor Topher Grace, but he basically wakes up every day as different people. Um, he's the same guy inside, but his external um, uh, appearance changes. And it's a very, very clever concept um, and basically goes through. And it's just, it, was, it, it won a daytime Emmy back in 2013 um, that was uh, and, and nominated um, as such. The second one is a, is a piece called Silent, um, which was created by uh, Moonbot Studios, which you may remember had created um, the Chipotle famous Scarecrow uh, video. Um, and was just a it's just a, a beautiful piece about uh, two uh, two performers who go to this like movie theater and then they go on an adventure and I won't spoil it any f- f- further than that it's just it's just a wonderful piece and then the last one that they mentioned in this piece on Contently is this uh, as a piece called Unlimited this was my least favorite of the three but it's really fun it's an old Navy uh, partnered with um, a director to create it's a music video it's very much like a Glee type of music video. Um, the story is basically this little kid, um, and on her first day of school, she comes to have a partnership in a, you know, with a friend that um, this, this monster called the Womp Womp, um, and she talks about singing this song, and, it's, it's, and it features all these YouTube stars like Isabella uh, Balbi and, and, and That's Ojak and, and, and Hunter March, and, and it's, um, it's, it's really well done. All three of them are just wonderful pieces. Really, really great examples of content that just delivers great value, entertainment value, not heavy-handed on branded at all, and just a really wonderful example, and I just had to give him a big shout-out. I love this. I mean, it's sort of back into our predictions that we've had. It's sort of all sort of coming together, our evil plan about these things getting nominated. Uh, The only thing that I – issue I have, and we just talked about this, talking about terminology, but they – uh, one of the lines in here is they, they're calling this these branded content. I wouldn't call these three branded no. content. Yeah, I would um, neither. I would call them content marketing. Uh, but anyways, but it's I love the piece, and I love that uh, that the content standard here is talking about it. Content uh, yeah. content strategist by Contently. Yeah, very good. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So okay, I have so this you know I I told you that my you know rave was actually about wall street journal and this is courtesy of james gardner you know there i know the race is on over there the folks that connected dx and they're trying to all see one who more can for jimmy submit them one more again put it on the board james um so this is interesting because it talks about the relaunch of the wall street journal site and i love this because you talk about this all the time about treating your content like a product yeah. And what I love about this, they do a product demo on their relaunch. Is basically what Wall Street yeah. Journal did, and I just so love cool. the fact that yeah, they so did cool. that. I mean, it's very—it's like a minute and twenty seconds long, and we'll put it in the show notes. But you know, they—they're just saying, oh, "Here's why we've changed it, and here's what we're doing, and here's what you can do with it for the seamless experience, and here's a couple cool features." Exactly, if if uh, if Oracle or any other company were relaunching a product, they would do a little demo on it. So I just think <laughs> I just like that fact. But there's a couple of things, uh, a couple of articles here, and we'll put these in. But both of them are from Neiman. Lab and Neiman Lab goes through some an interesting take on some of the I don't know better parts about this thing that we need to keep uh, keep track of and they go through the one thing I thought was really interesting is Wall Street Journal is talking about seeing more traffic to its homepage 
So you know, forever everybody said, "Don't worry about the homepage because everybody's going to a hidden page." Sure, they're right. saying at Wall. They're looking at the data at Wall Street Journal that more people, more and more people, are coming to the homepage. I, I think it's something like the majority of subscribers are going to the homepage at least once a month because they're going for this curated news because they want to find out. Okay, what are the editors of Wall Street Journal talking about? What do they think is news? And I want to see that. I want to see what they think is news. And I didn't see. I didn't anticipate this happening. I just wonder if this is a Wall Street Journal thing or if this is something that we need to pay attention to, that depending on how you're going to direct or how you're going to position your content brand, if more and more people are going to go to the homepage. Because they're seeing that. Yeah. I just think that's interesting. Well, I think it it, it falls right in line with, you know, interestingly and and poetically, but totally unintentionally, my my letter this week for Intelligent Content uh, Newsletter was about this conversation that I've been having with more frequency, but more specifically uh, just last week with a brand about, you know, using metadata actually to uh, draw people through content in a creative narrative, right? So not just using metadata to describe the structure of content or its usage rights or whatever, but actually creating, you know, basically optimizing content based on how you want people to go through a narrative, which in many cases could be through a particular page, right, through the homepage, because we want you to come through the homepage because that's, quite frankly, part of the experience that we want you to have. It's not that you Mm -hmm. can't have another experience. It's not that you can't navigate it in another way. But if you want to sort of let us, you know, in the same way that Disneyland is designed in a very specific way for you to have a very orchestrated experience – in the same way, we can use metadata and, and sort of technology as well as sort of our content strategy to have people go through this experience in a really optimal, we, as we would look at it, in an optimal narrative, creative way. And I think this is, feeds right into that, which is whether it's creative or whether it's business or whether it's um, just something that they really want, having people go through the homepage could be a really interesting choice. Exactly. So there's a bunch of other things on here. The only other, I mean, I got a number of things on here, but I only wanted to pick out one more was they look at app, app usage and they really saw that that's where the power users are. So if you're going to launch an app, you really want to customize that around your best, best, best audience members, like the yeah. ones that just love everything you do and you customize that experience for them. You, this is not for people that you're trying to get in, uh, you know, into your site for the first time. Those are going to be on the browser. Those are going to be on the smartphone. But if it's an app, those are your power users. And I just think that's interesting because I think it's you really take a cool. different look. Yeah. You look at your app, yeah, your app experience differently. And it's not yeah. just, it's, I think it's, I think we have an opportunity to look at your app experience like a membership almost like, right. okay, if you're right. the member, how would we position this? And it doesn't have to be just here's the blog post and here's home i think you really have to say look here's an app and that experience needs to be really special and valuable integrated but different and what are we going to do around that so yeah. i just thought it was interesting so really really cool yeah kudos you know we didn't like what you did before with wsj but we love what you did on this one so don't say that we're not equal opportunity here we love you and we hate you and we love you and we hate you and now we now love you, you again <laughs> you have a very cool this old marketing I do indeed I have a here. really cool this old marketing. It came to me um, this last week. I was in New York City, um, and we were downtown in, in Soho, and we were actually having uh, a whiskey tasting with the good friends at uh, NewsCred, uh, who were uh, one of the sponsors, as well as King Content, who were sponsoring that. 
Um, and I was there speaking with a number of brands that were there. And one of them was Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. And I was having this wonderful conversation over whiskey with this guy from, uh, from Merrill Lynch who was talking to me about all of the things that Charles Merrill did back in the day, 1940s and 1950s, around content. And I had no idea. So I actually went and after the whiskey tasting, um, well, let's be honest, it was the next day. It was not, the, it was not that night. But the next day, I went and looked it, uh, looked it up, and it's really fascinating. So Charles Merrill... Uh, for those of you who don't know, basically was part of Merrill Lynch. He was obviously one of the, the launching, but then left the company and then came back. And the interesting thing was right after the Great Depression, so we're talking here in the 1940s and 1950s, the American public was, I mean, if we think we hate the banks now, they were there, there was nobody who wanted any part of stocks or stock trading or anything like that during that time. And the interesting thing was, so when Merrill came back, he started, he, he believed that consumers needed to be educated about this. And so he basically created this wonderful education program that he promoted. So in other words, he basically would put out uh, reports, like how to read a financial report, what is a stock, what everybody ought to know about the stock market. And and these were full-page, in some cases, ads in uh, newspapers. So you can call it early native advertising if you want which was really educational articles about how to read this financial report or what the stock market really was or all of that. Then he started putting out letters and pamphlets and these books on educating the American uh, marketplace on what it was actually uh, about to own a stock and to how to read these financial um, reports that you might get. And then he started to do um, all of these different sort of easy-to-read pamphlets um, that he would distribute by mail. So 75,000 free copies of this thing went out in 1947. And then, of course, it started to get covered by other magazines, etc. So he was actually paying for the media to go out through direct mail, through newspaper ads, etc. But he was also getting earned media coverage of this stuff through other magazines as well. And so he started to create all kinds of different ads and books and, and all kinds of content that all throughout the 40s and the 50s and even into the 60s to sort of reintroduce the American public into what it was like to actually invest in the stock market itself. And it was really interesting because they did a survey where people were really, really against, you know, they didn't know what a stock was. They didn't even understand uh, how to purchase a stock. And his whole goal here was to actually uh, create a program where he would educate the American public on how to do this. And he did that through all sorts of different uh, media, sort of an, a multi-channel media operation, if you will. Um, and basically took that sort of at its culmination, which was basically he took this idea out on the road and he started to create events um, where he would actually go create these educational events around uh, stock market and how to own a stock and how to read financial statements, etc. And he was basically teaching not only men but also women at the time, which was which was relatively revolutionary, teaching these people how to do all this uh, stuff to the point where he they really became Merrill Lynch became synonymous with sort of the idea of Wall Street and sort of the rebirth uh, of Wall Street. And in fact, this sort of culminates. I love the end of the story where they talk about when members of the Soviet press came to New York City in 1955, they wanted to stop at two symbols as they looked at it 
of American capitalism. And the first was the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and the second was the headquarters of Merrill Lynch. Um, I just think it's a fantastic wow. example of this old marketing and, and just wonderful. I mean, despite what we may think about the banks these days, it's just a really great example of using multiple methods, paid and otherwise. As you say, it's content marketing can be outbound too, and this was a great example of that. That's I love that. You know, we should – and we've done this to an extent, but when you really go back and you look at some of the greatest brands of all time – most of them, you know, the Legos of the world and the John Deere's of the world, they started doing this a long, long time ago as one of like Absolutely, the cornerstones yeah. of, so it's just, it's interesting how we're talking about, most people talk about content marketing as being this new thing, but really it's been around for a long time. Hence the reason why we started this podcast. Well, I was going to say, somebody should do a show. Somebody should do this. <laughs> I'm going to kick myself because nobody's All doing right. it. We're gonna, anyway. Are you home this week? What are you doing? Uh, I'm home briefly. I'm I'm going to uh, Pittsburgh AMA uh, again. Uh, they've had this is the third year I'm going back, so that's fantastic. I that's get to nice. go back and and do a little morning keynote uh, this week with them. Are and, you going to have traveling. that? Uh, are you going to have that French fry thing? Have you, do you know about this thing? I I, I only right. know this sort of peripherally. This French it's this sandwich that they put French fries on. It's some famous Pittsburgh sandwich that they put French fries on. Are you talking about a panini? I don't, no, I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's got I, I, it's got some I get name. A, some well, famous I don't Pittsburgh know. restaurant where you go there and the the sandwich comes to you and it has French fries in it. That's that's okay. All I well, know. I don't know if that's a Pittsburgh thing. If it is, I will go eat it. Okay, but and I, and and uh, maybe I've our heard about creative it. our creative director Joseph Kalinowski should should know because he's yeah. a, you know all Pittsburgh fan of everything. So maybe he can tell us. But in Cleveland, Ohio, you can go to a place called Panini's, and Panini's you can get turkey, you can get uh, you can get ham, you can get eggs, you can get whatever you want on Italian bread, like a big sourdough bread, and it's topped with coleslaw and French fries, and it's. <laughs> Wonderful, by the way. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I mean, I'll oh have my goodness! French fries. That's my wife's that. favorite. That's my wife's favorite sandwich. Like, if that's I really did something thing. horrible, I'm coming home with a panini. That's a lovely. I'm thing. serious. Oh, that's a. So that's, I'll go find great. out for I'm you. I'm starving <laughs> right now. Where? Yeah, I know you're talking food. So, where are you headed this week? I'm actually headed from here. I'm in the lovely Montreal today, and then tomorrow morning, first thing, I actually head out to San Francisco um, for a very quick stop at a meeting. It's just basically a long way home for me. I'm going from here to San Francisco, and then actually tomorrow night, flying home and home, and then I move next week. Um, That's right. I'm going to be yes, moving houses. Big move. So yeah, so I'm I'm excited about that. Um, and not traveling for a couple of weeks while I moved because if I traveled while we were moving, I wouldn't be married when I came home. So, by the way, so. I have to tell you this, and maybe I should tell you afterwards. But I know you're moving from the city, so it doesn't matter anymore. You live in Toluca Lake, correct? That's correct. That's right. So Toluca Lake, I was watching the Frank Sinatra biography. Oh yeah, of Toluca, course. And he and he had a house on in Toluca Lake. Oh yeah, the not. whole. Oh no, that neighborhood is 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 so it so not a lot of people know this, but basically the neighborhood so the neighborhood of Toluca Lake was basically a very large citrus farm, which was then bought by uh, a, a very uh, young little comedian that we know as Bob Hope, who built his estate on it, and then basically subdivided the rest of the ranch to. Be, basically build what is the neighborhood today and, he, and it was Bob Hope and Bing Crosby who actually owned most of that land 
and it was tons of celebrities in that. Frank Sinatra had a house wow. there, and all sorts of people. Yeah, it's a very, very famous little neighborhood. And, and you live on, and and you live in the Bob Hope Estate now. That's is that correct? <laughs> yeah, no, is not that, even a, not that... even a little bit. I live down the street though from uh, from it. I'm, I ride my bike past it every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, maybe it's some. Really cool. yeah, see, now you're moving. I mean, you never invited me over to. For anything. I don't even want to tell you where I live now because there are celebrities in that neighborhood too, and it's like yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> we'll finish this off. That is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, give us those tweets, folks. Hashtag this old marketing. Let us know about these stories. We love your story ideas. And if you've got any questions at all, of course, you can email us, too, at thisoldmarketing@contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 76, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today will be in the show notes available on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, you don't pay me to talk pretty. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.